Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for the season. That's certainly true for our time today. We are discussing Genesis 12 through 50 on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. Herschel York. Dr. York is the Dean of the School of Theology at Southern Seminary and the Victor and Luis Lester Professor of Christian Preaching. He is also the host of Pastor Well, a podcast that has featured both our very own JT English and Jen Wilkin, and he has also served as pastor at Buck Run Baptist for the last 17 years. Dr. York, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. It is really a delight to get to be with you. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Here's the big question for you. If you were going to preach or teach a big Old Testament narrative unit, like Genesis 31, for example, where Jacob flees from Laban, how would you do that? The best place to start, oddly enough, is at the beginning. And, you know, uh, it's not like slices of a pie where you just can lift it out. It doesn't matter. I mean, you really do have to set it in its context. So, you know, if, if I were... Uh, typically, I would be preaching through the book of Genesis, you know, and right, would, right. would occur in a, a larger narrative. If I weren't, if I were just going to preach one sermon in Genesis 31, I would certainly take the time to explain what's going on. I mean, there's so much here in Genesis 31 that is connected to the rest. You know, one of the big questions I think that pastors and preachers always need to ask is, what what is the author doing with the words in order to tell the story? And so our, our, our job is not to simply preach the event. We're preaching the meaning of the event. What, what does it mean? And, of course, here there's just so much going on because this is God calling Jacob to go back, to return. Uh, man, I wish I had time. There, there's, there are parallels here with the prodigal son. Uh, Kenneth Bailey wrote a book called Jacob and the Prodigal Son that makes some connections here that are really fascinating. But, uh, you know, the things that I always look for, okay, what, what are the words that the author is using that connects it with a story both before and after? One of the words here in Genesis 31 that I like to focus on is the word face. Uh, Jacob uh, says he sees the face of Laban, and it's not like it was before. Uh, and then he, he calls his wives out into the field to tell them. You know, he makes sure he's not in earshot of Laban, and he wants to tell them, you know, I've seen your father's face, and it's, it's not toward me like it was before. Laban has grown uh, jealous. In fact, you know, the, the brothers of Rachel and Leah are never mentioned by name. But if you look at the beginning of this chapter, they, they are used as a, a wonderful uh, dramatic device to tell us that there's an air of suspicion and hmm. mistrust here. They go, hey, this guy's he's growing too much. He's getting too much of our stuff, our father's stuff. And Jacob knows he's got to get out. At the same time, he sees Laban's face, though. God appears to him and tells him to go back. And he says, I am going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. So really, this, this, this chapter is a story of the providence of God. And that's the way you have to see it. It's really fascinating to me that even though Jacob has God's assurance he's going to care for him, read this and you see it does not result in either arrogance uh, or pride or fatalism you know jacob doesn't go well god's gonna care for me i don't have to worry about anything no he's very crafty uh, he waits till laban it's the sheep shearing sheep shearing was a very important time in the 
uh, in an agricultural uh, cycle there, it was a big party time. And remember, we're told this detail in the text as well, that Jacob, that Laban made sure he was always three days journey from mm. Jacob. Uh, so because their flocks were so large that the land wouldn't support both of them. And I also think he didn't want uh, Jacob's uh, rams mating with his ewes. Right. And so he's at least three days away. And then it's sheep shearing. Sheep shearing's a party time. All the men that serve Laban would have been there. And it's then that Jacob gets gets his wives and they go, they leave and they head toward the Gilead, uh, you know, which is on the east side of the Jordan. He's going back to Canaan. Jacob uh, Laban hears and takes after him. And then there's that encounter up on the heights of the Gilead at, at Mizpah where they, you know, they confront one another. Uh, Laban, of course, has hurls all his accusations. You've deceived me and all that. Uh, by the way, that, that's a fascinating word, too, because what it, it literally says, uh, it, the word, it's often translated to see, but it literally says Jacob stole Laban's heart. And hmm. Laban says, you stole. You stole from me. From me. He doesn't use the object there. Uh, what a, what a, again, what a fascinating way that the author is expressing this. And Jacob says, no, God's the one who's prospered me. You know, I, I was always faithful to you. And then you have that really weird encounter where Rachel has stolen their household deities, the gods, which mm -hmm. tells us that Rachel's not yet really become a monotheist. Uh, mm -hmm. She wants these deities. And yet, I believe in the Mosaic authorship of Genesis, you see Moses giving us that detail of Rachel sitting on her gods while Laban looks mm -hmm. for them. Uh, there's a sarcastic note there. I mean, if you can sit on your, if you can sit on your gods, your gods aren't going to do you much good. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just a, it's a marvelous story of the providence right. of God. Yeah. Uh, because God is caring for Jacob. Jacob is not a savory character in many ways. Right. But God's yeah. taking him back. And, and by the way, uh, what's the accusation Laban makes against Jacob? Is that you deceived me. Why did Jacob have to leave? Because he deceived his father. And now he's going back. He's going back to Esau. He's going back to Isaac, the one who deceived him. And yet God changes his name from Jacob, the supplanter, the heel grabber, mm -hmm. to Israel, the one who rules with God. Uh, it's just an incredible insight into God's providence and his care. It's not based on anything Jacob does. It's based on God's grace and his grace alone. Uh, and yet he's protecting him. Jacob, uh, as uh, unsavory as he often is, he understands that this is God's protection of him. And, you know, the other thing that I would do is you, you, you've got to see this in, in light of the meta narrative of Scripture, that ultimately it's about Jesus. Jacob, of course, his name changes to Israel. He is Israel. God's taking him to the land of promise. Later, the Israelites, the children of Israel, will go to the promised land. But ultimately, the Lord Jesus himself, the true Israel, will come. And he has no unsavory character. Uh, God's favor is on him, and he comes to rescue his people. So, uh, you know, I, I, I love these big chunks of Scripture. I would also say you really need to learn how to use, you know, big stories swing on little hinges of narrative detail. 
And you really need to notice those details. Why is the author saying this? Why is he saying it this way? And when you when you preach it, you really want to preach it with enthusiasm, excitement, uh, unfolding that grand drama uh, of scripture. Well, I, you know, it's it's fascinating because the way that you're commending uh, preaching a unit like this is also the way that you just detailed it. Like, because I'm I'm on the other side of this now, going, I want to read Genesis 31 again, having just heard you talk about it, which is what you want from good communication of God's word that it makes people hungry to go back to God's word. Well, I certainly pray so. You know, I, honestly, the Bible is just the most exciting book in the world. I I, I read it through many, many, many times. I never get tired of it. It is a well that does not run dry. It is a feast. Uh, which I'm never satisfied, and there's just an excitement. The truth is, I think preachers have, have to work hard to make it dull and boring. I know some do, <laughs> some do. Uh, but, man, if we just, you know, it's a lion, let it loose. Uh, right, right, right. And it will, it will do its job, and that's what I always want to do when I preach it. Well, Dr. York, I'm so thankful that you've joined us. Listen, After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. York, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.